0: I was trying to figure out what I wanted to talk about this morning and I found something that I talked about 8 years ago. So I figured by now you've forgotten and (laughs) it'll be fresh. So I got this originally years ago reading an article by Rabbi Sachs and he's talking about Joseph's tears. The thing about Joseph is Joseph weeps 7 times. So I figure if Joseph does it exactly seven times and the Torah records it, it's probably important. And it turns out it actually is. Up until this time, there's been a couple of instances of people weeping. I didn't look this up, but off the top of my head, I think the first one was Esau when he discovered that Jacob had stolen his blessing. He raises his voice and weeps. And then I think the second one is Jacob... When he first sees Rachel at the well, I think he weeps then. And then the two brothers weep when they are reunited after the long-term turn Heron. But basically, there isn't a lot of that going on. So the fact that Joseph weeps seven times is kind of interesting. And by the way, Yeshua also weeps. And I will suggest to you that those two are intimately connected. So that's what I want to go through. Now, the thesis of Saxe's paper was that power is actually limited. And he's talking about Joseph in this case. Joseph is the viceroy of Egypt. So Joseph has got a lot of power. But there are things that that power can't do. And his weeping is over the things that his power is unable to accomplish similarly Yeshua's weeping is over something his power is unable to accomplish so I thought that was kind of an interesting take Joseph doesn't ever weep because things are going badly for him when he got sold into slavery he didn't weep when he got framed by Potiphar's wife He didn't weep. When the wine steward ignored him after he interpreted his dream, remember when he interpreted the wine steward's dream, he says, go talk to somebody and see if he can get me out of here. And, of course, the wine steward forgets all about it. He doesn't weep over that. And, in fact, once he has been taken out of prison, made viceroy and so forth, he's given a wife by Pharaoh and has two children and the names of his two children Manasseh and Ephraim Manasseh means I have forgotten my father's house Ephraim means I have been fruitful in my exile so what he's done over the years is he has built up a shell of strength, fortitude acceptance of his situation, and that's the way he's going through life. So the first time he actually weeps is when his brothers show up in front of him. That's when the facade breaks, when he sees his brothers for the first time. And that, by the way, was last week's Torah portion, in Genesis 42, 24. So... When he sees his brother, all of these emotions that he has tamped down over 20-some-odd years all of a sudden come up to the surface. He turns aside and weeps. He doesn't weep in front of his brothers because he has no idea what's going on with his brothers. He has no idea what the situation is in the family. So one of the things that he does is he sets up a series of tests and the tests are to figure out what the family dynamics are now because he's been gone what he wants to know is would they welcome me back do they care about me if they found out about me would they do anything about it furthermore I am an outcast how are they treating my younger brother Remember, he doesn't show up. So all of his things that he has done are designed to probe the family dynamics and figure out what's going on. In fact, the other question is, does my father know what happened to me? Because remember, when the brothers go back and tell dad that Joseph has been killed... Joseph is already on the back end of a camel headed to Egypt. He isn't privy to that conversation. So he has no idea what the dynamics are. Does his father know that they got sold into slavery? Did his father approve? And as the viceroy of Egypt, he could send somebody north and check out what's going on with the family. In modern terms, he could hire a private investigator to go scope it out and figure out what's going on. He's got the resources to do that. He never does that. So he has set himself up as an Egyptian. And he has said, I'm going to be in this role, and I'm going to be good at this role, and this is where I'm going to be fruitful, and this is where I'm going to be blessed. And it's only when his brothers then show up that all of that cracks. And he now has to figure out... What's going on? Because he's got emotions that he has kept suppressed over the years that are all of a sudden welling up in in tears. So that's the first time he weeps. Second time he weeps is when Benjamin shows up in today's reading. I'll give you Saxe's reading of it. When the brothers show up and all 11 of them bow down before him, But Sachs' insight was, ah, the dream is fulfilled. God is faithful. God gave me this dream, and now this dream is being fulfilled. Therefore, God is faithful. He has demonstrated to me through the fulfillment of that dream that he has got me in his hand, and I am going to be his. The third one is in 45.2 this is next week's Torah portion and that's when the brothers are brought back Judah steps up and says take me instead of the kid because if you take Benjamin my dad is going to die of sorrow I can't do that so I will be your slave send the kid back to his father now at that point what's happened is he knows that one his father wasn't in on the deal he also knows that the family dynamics have changed his brothers were willing to sell him into slavery to get rid of him but now Their concern for their father's feelings is stronger than their jealousy at not being favored by the father. And at that point, he breaks down and he weeps publicly. What he wants to be at this point is he wants to be a member of the family. He's an outcast, remember? And all of this emotion has to do with family. None of this emotion has to do with the hardships that he suffered in Egypt. It all has to do with family, and he's been an outcast, and what he very much wants now is to be a member of the family, but he's got a problem, and the problem is he's viceroy of Egypt, so in order to care for his family, he has got to stay viceroy of Egypt. He cannot return to the family and become one of 12 brothers, one of 12 sons. He has got to maintain his position of power in order to be able to save his family from the famine and in order to be able to make his family prosper and that they will do well in Egypt. So now he's got a problem. I need this power. But this power is separating me from the family. All of this is conflict within him. One of the things that is a cliché, Clichés are clichés because clichés are true. It's called the loneliness of command, and the military understands it very well. The one who is a commander is essentially alone because he's responsible for the decisions that he makes that cause the unit to do things. So if something goes wrong, they don't go down and find some sergeant and say, boy, you really messed this up, and... I mean that may happen too, but what immediately happens is the commander gets fired. Case in point, Navy captain asleep in his bunk, his destroyer runs into an oil tanker in the middle of China. First thing that happens, the commander gets fired. He was asleep, but that's the way it works, and everybody understands it, nobody whines, that's the deal. And that's Joseph's problem. He has a loneliness inside of himself that can't be fulfilled. The next one is when Joseph's father comes down to Egypt. Then he goes up to his father and weeps a good long time at the reunion of his father. And with the return of his father, it's like... Well, maybe I'm not alone. I now have somebody above me, if you understand what I'm saying. I'm not it now. I am now a son. I have my father here. I have that resource available to me. And by the way, his father, at least in Scripture, doesn't weep. And none of the brothers, with the exception of Benjamin, ever weeps. So the brothers are getting sold into slavery. They don't weep the only time Benjamin weeps is when Joseph says I am Joseph and the two brothers reunite so at that point Benjamin weeps but that's the only time any of the brothers ever weep and the father never weeps just Joseph at least according to scripture I understand that there may have been a few tears shed at the reunion but the scripture doesn't mention them so the next time that he weeps is when his father dies now he's all alone again. Father isn't there anymore. He's alone. He's always the viceroy of Egypt, but now he's the one with all the responsibility on his shoulders and there's no one to share it. He's alone. And then the final time that he weeps is a couple of Torah portions from now when his father is dead and the brothers send to him and say, uh... dad says that you shouldn't enslave us now that he's dead and he weeps at that point point. and what his weeping is is his brothers still don't get it they don't get that he's benign they don't get that he loves them they don't get that he really wants to take care of them they think that the only reason this guy has not sold him into slavery is because dad's still alive so when his brothers say don't enslave us it lands on him like a ton of bricks i'm alone i'm not part of this family i'm isolated that's the sequence of what's going on with joseph let me go to yeshua in john 1133 this is after the death of lazarus and you all read the story Lazarus takes sick and they send to Yeshua and say Lazarus is sick. Yeshua deliberately does not come so that Lazarus dies and furthermore Yeshua delays coming until three days after the death. Basically the reason is if somebody dies and pops back up within about three days, the suspicion is he wasn't really dead, he was just in a coma. So when Yeshua is going to raise Lazarus, he wants to make sure everybody knows that Lazarus is, in fact, dead. And this is not just he happened to show up at the same time this guy came out of the coma. So he deliberately doesn't go there so that Lazarus will die. And then he furthermore deliberately waits until Lazarus is dead in everybody's eyes. Let me read the passage now. John 11:33. When Yeshua saw her weeping, this is Mary. When Yeshua saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Yeshua wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could he who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? In other words, everybody around knows his reputation as a healer. And the question that they're asking is, could this guy not have forestalled this? And the answer, of course, is no, he could not. And what that tells you is there is a limit on what he can do. There's a limit on what God can do. Now, I know this flies in the face of Calvinism, but I'm not a Calvinist. And I said a couple of weeks ago when I was talking about what happens when a Hebrew God collides with a Greek culture and you have Greeks who are scientific trying to describe this Hebrew God and they use omni omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient all-knowing so omni, 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 he can do anything and can do everything no he can't in this case he was unable to spare his close friends the experience of death in the morning that went about that for three days because if he had, he wouldn't have been able to accomplish something else this stupid idea that you get, well, could an omnipotent God make a rock so big that he couldn't move it? It's just stupid but it's the thing that goes around out there and one of the things about this particular vignette is it illustrates how stupid that kind of thinking is it isn't correct And while I'm at it, God is sovereign. Absolutely. God is sovereign. But that doesn't mean he can do whatever he wants to do. What it means is nobody else makes rules for him. He is the one who makes his own rules and he is not bound by anybody else's rules. That's what sovereignty means. It doesn't mean I get to do whatever I want. And what we depend upon is he will keep his word and he will do what he said. Now, it If he doesn't, there's nothing we can do about it. But that's what we depend on. So, Yeshua, first off, weeping. And notice the occasion on which Yeshua weeps. He's weeping because of interpersonal relationships. Exactly the same reason Joseph wept the only time Joseph weeps is when his interpersonal relationships with his family cause him to do so same thing with Yeshua the only time he weeps is when he is faced with a problem of interpersonal relationships that he can't solve I'm going to shift gears with you now you young folks is Superman still a thing? You know, I grew up with Superman comic books, and, you know, I'm, I'm so old, I don't know whether my metaphors are anything you would understand. But the thing about Superman, the only thing that makes the story interesting is there are things he can't do. Because if he could just do everything, then the comic book would last one panel. Kidnap the girl, quack, we're done. But no, 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 that, that isn't the way it works. So the only thing that makes this interesting is a limitation on the power. Israel right now has got the power to level Gaza and make this stop. Israel can't do that. It's a limitation on power. So they've got the power to do it, but practically they can't. And we're going through all this stuff that's going on. So now, back to when the 11 brothers are bowing down before him. And what Sachs said is, the thing that that told Joseph was the faithfulness of God. Because the dream was being fulfilled. So, this is the first indication that, yes, God is with me. Yes, everything is okay. Now, I'm going to give you an analogy on trusting God. Let's assume for a minute that your daddy is Shakespeare. Now, Shakespeare is, as far as I know, probably the premier genius of writing in the English language. I mean, he has written stuff that is still relevant today because he has brought out essential human truths in a way that are very interesting. He was an absolute genius the writing of Shakespeare as I say other than the idiots in universities that want to cancel all this stuff is still wonderful so let's say Shakespeare's your daddy are you able to understand that he loves you sure are you able to trust him that he will feed you and buy you clothes and do all of the things that a dad would normally do to the best of his ability. Of course you are. Are you able to understand how he does what he does? No. In fact, I don't know of anybody that understands how he did what he did. The man was a genius of the first order. But as his child, you can trust him. You can know that he loves you. You can know that he has your best interests at heart you can know that in every circumstance he will do whatever he can to keep you protected and grow you up and develop your character you can know all of those things but you got no idea how he does what he does everybody see the analogy there so we have a God and we can trust that he loves us we can trust that he wants what's good for us we can trust that to the best of his ability now notice how I said that, I said that very carefully to the best of his ability, he'll provide for us because Yeshua didn't have the ability or actually had the ability but he couldn't heal Lazarus and he couldn't raise Lazarus from the dead until after the four days so what he had to do is he had to put Mary and Martha through an emotional wringer that just tore him up And so, what we have with Joseph, where you've got seven instances of him crying, is you have him recognizing the limits of his power. There are things that he can't do. He can't make the family accept him. He can't get rid of this loneliness of power that he has. He can't do those things. And those, realization is what's causing him to weep. It's the same thing with Yeshua. This realization that he can't do these things that is causing him to weep. One other thing, and I'll close. What are the names of the two sons of Joseph? Manasseh and Ephraim. Manasseh, I have forgotten my father's house. Ephraim, I have been fruitful in my exile. Was there somebody else that was rejected by his family? Wasn't Yeshua rejected by his family? Where has Yeshua been fruitful? In exile among the Gentiles. Isn't that where he is gathering his fruit right now? And of course at some point there will be a reunion. And at some point the brothers will come back together. And I have no doubt in my military mind that there will be weeping.